How is it possible that it's already August? We hope you are enjoying your summer. Back by popular demand is our AirPods Pro giveaway. Members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts, which you get by becoming a member. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of August, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code bonus content, one word, at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code bonus content. Thank you for your support. Director of Special Investigations at the Russia Foundation and editor of the English language version of The Insider. This week, I'm bringing you a special episode recorded yesterday, August 25th, uh, all about the assassination of Wagner uh, Chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. Um, my guests will be Christo Grozev, my colleague at The Insider, as well as Roman Dobrohotov, who's the editor in chief of The Insider. Uh, so, we recorded this on the fly. Um, just to get a reaction as to what this means for Russia, why Putin did it, why he waited two months since the abortive coup, um, and what uh, what the future holds for, for Wagner. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the Insider English Language Edition. I'm uh, Michael Weiss, one of the editors at the publication, and I'm joined today by Christo Grozev and Roman Dabrokhotov, the editor-in-chief. Uh, we're here to discuss the assassination of Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, the infamous command or financier and oligarch behind the Wagner Corps, uh, who was blown up uh, just a few hundred miles northwest of Moscow on Wednesday in what U.S. intelligence has said is almost certainly an assassination ordered by Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Uh, this has been all over the international press for understandable reasons, given Wagner's role in not only the war in Ukraine, but also the Russian intervention in Syria and interventions in a host of other countries around the world, specifically in Africa. Uh, And I can't think of two better guests to have on the program than Christo and Rahman, both of whom have broken innumerable stories about Prigozhin as a person, but also Wagner as this not really even paramilitary or private military company, but it's essentially what we now know to be an extension of the Russian state and the Ministry of Defense. Uh, Rahman, Christo, welcome. Let's start with the most obvious and basic question. I mean, what do we know right now about how Prigozhin was taken out? The initial reports suggested this might have been a surface-to-air missile, Russian air defense systems that blew up his private jet as it was returning uh, to to Russia. Uh, but now there seems to be some contradictory reporting coming out in the United States from intelligence sources who suggest that this may have been a bomb placed aboard the aircraft or some kind of act of, of sabotage. What what are you guys learning? What have you, your sources telling you? Well, first, let me start first. I don't think we have credible information on what exactly happened technically and mm. how exactly the plane uh, went down. There are conflicting reports. Some of them leaked through the FSB connected or uh, linked uh, telegram channels suggesting that, oh, for sure it was a, a missile because mm. there were witnesses who heard and saw two explosions at the time that the plane started going down in a spiral. This would be consistent with at least one of the types of uh, surface-to-air missiles that Russia uses in in a pair, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, other experts, again, from Russia started opining on it by saying, oh, it definitely was an air-to-air missile, mm-hmm. because we see the shrapnel on one of the wings that fell down that is consistent with an air-to-air missile, and that would be more consistent with the lack of um, the kind of the smoke trail that you would see from an uh, surface to air. Then again, the initial indications or initial leaks from the official investigation, uh, whatever that is, and it's in, in quotation marks investigation here, is that it was a bomb, or yeah. most likely it was a bomb. Now, uh, Roman, I would ask you for an opinion on this, because we don't know, but we will know in the next few days, that's yeah. for sure. But it would make more sense for it to be a bomb, because if Putin were to try to 
blame the Ukrainians or the Kadyrovites, and we'll get to that in the, in the conversation, I'm sure, then a bomb is much more versatile. It's much more universal. Anybody can put a bomb in a present for right. Prigozhin or in the uh, luggage compartment, but, but very few people can shoot a missile, yeah, and um, and those would be directly in the line of command of Putin. So that's why I think the most likely method was a bomb. Right, but uh, that is the interesting question because if uh, we learn that this is um, a missile, that means that Putin de- deliberately decided to make it that way that everybody understands yeah. that it was him and that he's not afraid uh, to show that. So this this would be a signal to everybody inside and outside Russia that he uh, doesn't give a damn about this, so he can uh, kill whatever in the plane above uh, Ver, which is close to Moscow, right in the middle of Russia. Um, so uh, it's also, we, we actually had the same question with Novichok. So why would he use Novichok if he can use any other uh, poison that is much easily, uh, much more easily accessible for everybody? But maybe that also was a part of the message that like everybody knows uh, that it is he. But this is just a conspiracy because, yeah, Novichok has very many other reasons to use. Uh, so, um, um, I agree with you that it is, for now, uh, it is more likely that it is a bomb because it, it, it will be more logical to then to blame, for example, Ukrainians. But, 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 uh, but Roman, uh, can but, I, can yeah, I interrupt you here? Because, um, you make a good point. Um, what is the message? What is the required message for this assassination? Uh, the message, it would not fulfill the goal for Putin if this was not a clear affiliation with him. But that clarity is not needed for the general electorate. It's not needed for the plebeians, plebeian uh, electorate of Russia. It's only needed for the elites. The elites get the message. Everybody among the elites, the power elites and the political elites, know that Putin did it, um, directly or indirectly. So it doesn't matter, actually, um, for them. But, for, I mean, the, the, the phrasing, the messaging from him, yeah. doing the godfather kind of eulogy, saying, oh, he was a nice but complicated man. Made mistakes. And made mistakes. That was so typically out of uh, Vita Corleone's mm-hmm. um, uh, script. He doesn't need more than that. But for the electorate, for the babushkas in the countryside, for them to believe, oh, it couldn't be our guy... Because for them, he doesn't need that message. He just needs the message, oh, we're under attack. And and for them, it will be Ukraine did it or somebody who hated him did it. Everything about what has happened in this summer, right? I mean, in in what, late June, around midsummer, we had this abortive, some people called it a mutiny. I think we've chosen to to describe it as an attempted coup. Well, certainly Um, Putin thought so. Putin thought it was a coup. He described them as traitors. Uh, He looked really angry and hostile, although everything about this since has not really made much sense, right? I mean, in the annals of Russian history, somebody who tries to overthrow the regime and decapitate the czar, we know what happens to that person immediately, right? And yet there was this weird parlay with Putin in Moscow. Prigozhin was coming in and out of the country like it was his living room, right? Even though he was meant to be in exile in Belarus. We saw this I, I don't know if this was just theatrical or it was legitimate at the time that the erection of this tent community for Wagner fighters in Belarus who declined to sign contracts with MOD. Why wait this long to kill him? And then why kill him? You know, there, there are other ways, what I'm on, you were saying using Novichok. Uh, you know, there are other calling cards of, of Kremlin assassination attempts. Why do something so spectacular as to destroy a plane I mean, right in the heart of Russia. They could have taken him out in Africa, where he was just uh, not, not even a week ago, right? Why choose this method? Well, I, I, I can suggest a dozen of beautiful theories of why he did this way, not another. But there is, I think, uh, I, I would choose a simplest explanation why uh, why it happened this way. First of all, why, uh, why this time, not earlier? Well, first of all, because um, at first days, uh, the a dozen of thousands of uh, Wagner troops um, were uh, in the in, in Russia, uh, still ready to um, go to Moscow. So he was waiting for them to give up all the arms and relocate to Belarus. So he eliminated the danger for himself. Uh, and uh, while doing so, Putin 
uh, try to persuade Prigozhin that they are not enemies anymore. That means that he needed to show that, well, there are some other tasks in Africa, in other places, and you can meet with African leaders in St. Petersburg during the conference. And it was almost official. So Prigozhin published photos with these leaders uh, in, um, in a hotel near the, um, in, in, near the conference. So, uh, it looks like Prigozhin uh, believed that, uh, there is a deal, which is very stupid for Prigozhin because he knew Putin for at least 20 or even maybe 30, 30 years, years because uh, Putin in his speech mentions that he knows Prigozhin uh, from uh, early 1990s, mm-hmm. which we didn't know personally, but uh, okay, maybe maybe it's true. So anyway, he he uh, it's it's um, from point of view of um, game of um, uh, of um, game theory, it is an interesting situation when you have two um, psychopaths that knows that they can't trust each other. But they still have to make a deal uh, because they don't want uh, to lose everything in the battle against each other. So it was it was very interesting. What kind of a deal was that when he stopped uh, near Moscow during his march uh, to Kremlin? So what what was the part of the deal? So I think my personal opinion is that at that moment was it twenty third of June or twenty fourth? I don't remember. So at that moment. When Putin was negotiating, he already knew he's going to kill Prigozhin in next two months. Yeah. So he, he just needed anything to make Prigozhin believe that, uh, well, we can, we can decide it on this on that way. So what I don't understand in, is how Prigozhin was so stupid to believe that, it, it, you know, in, in India it's called, um, uh, holding tiger by by a tail. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you get a tiger by, by a tail, you just can't uh, leave it because you, you die, right? So how um, how Prigozhin was so stupid to believe in 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 this uh, new well, new let deal. me let me ask you, Christo, because we've the three of us have talked about this at length. To what extent are there Prigozhin loyalists scattered throughout all echelons of the Russian military? industrial complex, the defense establishment, security architecture. We published a story a few weeks ago querying sources in the FSB, uh, GRU, Border Guard, um, I think Interior Ministry, all of whom basically said there were two prevailing sentiments on the day of the coup. One was of maximum indifference, like we don't give a shit, <laughs> let him take the country, it's, it doesn't change anything for us, or not so sneaking or quiet sympathy cheering on Prigozhin to go ahead because there needs to be this house cleaning. Obviously, it seems, maybe not so obviously, Putin has caught wind of the fact that there is a fifth column in his regime. Um, we have now fairly credible reporting that uh, Sotovikin has uh, not only been removed as head of the aerospace forces, but is under house arrest. He was somebody seen as being a little too close to Prigozhin. Wasn't he an honorary Wagner member? Um, more reporting, no doubt, will come out about, you know, covert or, or even overt sympathizers uh, of Wagner uh, within the government and the military. Uh, why? It seems to me that Prigozhin had a real ample room for maneuver and opportunity here. I mean, Roman just said he stopped about 120 miles south of Moscow. We don't know why, because he could have kept going and probably would have faced just the same amount of resistance, right. which is to say little to none. And then in the midst of this kind of, you know, fake deal of the psychopaths, for lack of a better term, he still had opportunity because if he did indeed have a fifth column at his disposal, he could have tried it again and been successful this time around. So what, what if you had to kind of get inside his head or try to understand the inner workings of this whole arrangement, what would you say was, was motivating him? Well, I mean, the reason why Putin couldn't... Um kill uh, Prigozhin immediately, as Roman suggested, was the fact that at that time there was too much political capital mm-hmm. in the hands of Prigozhin. That included not only electoral capital, because yes, he did poll number two in people's trust after, after Putin, which had never happened before, and this must have loomed like a scary concept mm-hmm. for Putin. But second, he had this um, fifth column, you call it, but essentially it's a support among the army, uh, part of the army, part of the FSB even, 
uh, part of the jurium that preferred somebody um, motivated, functional, and clear-minded as, as Prigozhin in their view uh, over Putin. So obviously this needed to be neutralized or reduced with time. And one way that I think Putin was expecting this would happen is by just removing Prigozhin from the agenda uh, for a while and yeah. showing that everything he did was replaceable with a new super sophisticated uh, semi-private army that Prigozhin, that Putin started creating. We know of people that were approached to be and were offered to spearhead this army within the army, mm-hmm. um, just showing success without Prigozhin. Now, this didn't happen. It happened actually before all of these replacements had been put in place. So something else must have triggered an earlier yeah. than a cold-blooded, cold um, disposal of Prigozhin, which I expected would happen closer to the end of the year, as I famously said in, mm-hmm. um, uh, to the Financial Times. So what could that be? And I think here the reason is uh, connected again to the psychopath's mentality. Now, Prigozhin was forced into a situation to have to believe the deal with Putin. Yeah, You could call that naive, but it's in a way how psychopaths think. Psychopaths um, have zero concept of risk assessment. They have a much higher uh, threshold of risk uh, aversion than any of us. And the second thing that they have is that whenever they're given a choice between a terrible outcome and a bad outcome, they go for the bad outcome and they go full head with it. Mm -hmm. So Prigozhin must have received uh, a really, really terrible dilemma, a dichotomy on the day that he closed um, the the ascent on Moscow. Something like, I mean, family members could have been kidnapped and he must have been told, unless you um, unless you stop and unless we'll you start playing them. with us, we'll kill them. Something like that. In comparison to which, the deal that he received, must have received, which is, we'll let bygones be the bygones. You stick to Belarus, Mm -hmm. and you stick to a couple of places in Africa, but we'll be taking over everything, must have seemed to him like an acceptable outcome, yeah? And he fully designated his own mindset to that outcome because he's a psychopath and and it didn't work out because Putin is a big psychopath, right? right? So, But has Putin effectively neutralized this pro-Prigozhin, pro-Wagner element within his own government? I mean, that's the big question. I'll give a very short answer, and I'm interested in Roma's I I was expecting to see what the Wagnerites would do in the in the wake of their leader and their kind of uh, uh, guru being taken out, and whether they would immediately um, take on the Kremlin again. What Putin did right here is, from his point of view, he, he decapitated the whole of Wagner, so that everybody who could have taken the army onto the Kremlin to avenge for the death of uh, Prigozhin was gone. Those two guys were in the plane. Um, so I think that there is a strong potential for the Wagnerites, the ex-Wagnerites, to be instrumentalized into a new coup mm-hmm. by a group of generals in a few months, not now. I actually asked this question to one of our sources in Wagner. Uh, will there be an immediate reaction, an immediate attack on the traitors, as they call Putin now, right? And he said... Uh, very matter-of-fact as usual, said, no, no, not now. Everybody who would want to do that would need to know that they should only start when they can get into the Kremlin and get rid of Putin. Mm. So they won't do it until they have the plan in action. I said, but will there be another attempt? They said, absolutely. So I think that's that's what my point of view would be, that in a few months we'll see somebody instrumentalizing these uh, Wagnerites, to put them very bluntly, and uh, and do another attempt. What do you think, Roman? Yeah, well, but I think that if we if we speak about uh, this uh, mutiny or uh, coup um, that happened in June, we also uh, need to provide our audience some context about um, like atmosphere in, in which it happened, because many people thought that this was just. Um, not motivated military against very motivated uh, uh, Wagner group. While we uh, and me personally, I also thought that these people who are going to Moscow, uh, they feel some anger and they're really desperate about uh, taking power. But when we spoke with uh, these people, it looked like they. Uh, were absolutely not inspired with this idea 
And um, I, I, I would say this was the laziest coup in, in the world's history when no one wants to participate on any side. Yeah. So absolutely no general wanted to... Uh, when when, when uh, Kremlin uh, tried to bring their uh, troops, their generals, uh, immediately because of the coup, all of them pretended to be uh, on vacation or to be drunk or just didn't respond to phone calls and stayed at home. And um, the people from Wagner's group also said that, like, oh, they told us to um, to go to Moscow. We will not do anything before we get uh, the written order or something like this. And and, and, and many people, by the way, uh, really also didn't participate. So it was 10,000. But Prigozhin said that he had 40,000 uh, troops. So um, this, these people uh, didn't like very much the idea to fight against some other Russian people who will uh, defend Moscow. So um, it's it's not like when uh, during the civil war in um, like 100 days ago, when like uh, Red Army, they uh, had, uh, uh, I mean, like this com- communist part, they had their own ideology uh, and um, their, their, their view of their future. I think it's, it's a little bit different thing. It's, it's that um, there are some psychopaths with their ambitions and most of other people don't want either to participate on a side of the attacking one, neither to defend uh, the ruling one because they hate this uh, current situation. And it's, it's more like, well, if Prigozhin wins, maybe something will change and any change will be for good now because we are... Uh, in a, in a very very deep as now with this old war and we and we and we don't see any other possible escape. So I think this was an atmosphere, and we need to take it in, into consideration because that means that uh, because that means that it's it's uh, not like people with different ideologies fighting for power. It's just uh, the situation when the uh, it's a kind of failed state, and there are lots of different dozens actually of different. Uh, militarized forces in the country that don't trust uh, anyone and they don't trust each other with, within their own intelligence. So they can't organize anything on their own. And uh, they just don't want to participate in any other, any other fight. So this is, this is, this is how it looks. So that's, I, I agree with Christo that we possibly will see some other coup because everybody saw that how, how easy it can be done. But um, but it's very difficult to organize it because when people don't trust each other at all, it's, it's difficult to organize anything within this structure. But so we're sort of juggling two contradictory ideas here at the same time. One, and, and there's evidence to support this, the Ukrainians, for instance, have been canvassing opinion of Wagner fighters from going back to almost the beginning of the war. And they notice that this is a very cult-like atmosphere. Uh, extreme adulation, worship of Prigozhin, they called him Batya, um, utter disdain for contract or, or mobilized soldiers working at MOD. What are you fighting for? There's no glory. There's no money. At least if we get killed and, you know, the, the meat grinder of Bakhmut, our families will live high on the hog for the rest of their lives. What are you guys doing? You're idiots. You should join with us. And yet, what you just described was a kind of universal lassitude uh, throughout. Like on, on the one hand, the Wagner putschists didn't really, weren't keen to march on Moscow, didn't really know what they were doing. They kind of, you know, sort of carried away, I guess, by the, the, the momentum of the moment, but didn't have the ideological zealotry that you would need to really press forward for, with a coup, that at least one that's successful. And then as we discussed on the other side, you know, sorry, I, I was out partying late last night. I can't stop this internal security yeah. threat to Fortress Russia. You know, see you next week kind of shit. So where does that leave the Russian regime? Where does it leave the, the cadres that it relies on, not only to prosecute this war in Ukraine, but also to safeguard its own security? I mean, Putin's life, which we know he is deeply paranoid about losing. Uh, it's why he has uh, food testers. It's why he takes fecal samples of people visiting. Uh, it's why he travels on an armored train. Where does that leave his the the state of 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 his dictatorship? I mean, it seems like he's actually quite 
vulnerable. And yet, you know, I'm reading this week all innumerable Western articles saying he has never been stronger. His grip on power is uncontested. This shows that he's, you know, this master godfather figure who liquidates all his enemies. And it doesn't seem that way to me from what we're discussing. No, I mean, I, I, I think if the question is, does Putin feel weaker or stronger now than two months ago? To me, the answer is definitely weaker. Mm. There are so many things that changed. Um, one is that the public had never seen anybody oppose yeah. uh, Putin, and now they saw somebody close to Putin oppose Putin. Um, and that alone talks about or shows the feasibility of this. And it's very important in dictatorships and in mafia structures to know that people would only support um, with all of their heart and mind the the boss, the mafia boss, if they're sure that the mafia boss will be there forever. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise any adulation, any support for the boss might be used against them. So give you an example. If Putin now gives the order for somebody to do something very legal, like uh, go and kill Navalny in jail, right, yeah. as an example. I think given the latest two months, this becomes less likely to be taken as an order because, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. th- th- I don't know. I, mean, I know that Wagnerites and Surovikin, who's a general that everybody said was a great guy, uh, now they, they try to go after Putin. How do I know who will do this next week? So that's why I think the acceptance of the absolute rule of Putin is much lower now than two months ago, mm-hmm. even though obviously he had to do this ruthless show of force um, to at least m- minimize that risk or to scare at least some of them. But but that just shows to the rest of the people that he's not he's not all-powerful. Mm. And especially if, if he starts to lose the war in Ukraine even more so than he has already. For instance, if this counteroffensive in the South is successful and the direct line of communication to Crimea is cut off, he looks even weaker because the one goal that has set all of these things in motion is now you know, that much more distant. Let me ask you, let's turn the conversation to, we we know that fundamentally Putin gave the order and he is the architect of Prigozhin's demise. But let's talk about who done it. So today there was an article in the British media suggesting that our old friend Avrianov, the commander of Unit 29155, this is a GRU special task unit that's set up to do uh, sabotage operations, terrorist attacks really, and murder. Um, responsible for poisoning the Skripals in Salisbury, blowing up uh, Czech and Bulgarian ammunition depots and uh, warehouses, etc. over the last, what, 10 years now. Uh, Krista, you, you probably know about, well, both of you know Avrianov's biography better than anybody on the planet. Um, what is the likelihood that he's responsible for this? And what does that say about what you just were describing, which is, you know, taking risks on behalf of the weakened if not um, debilitated czar. Right. I mean, anybody who would take those risks would do it in return for something. Mm. Uh, so it would have to be a really sweet deal. Yeah. And Avrianov is the kind of guy who would look forward to and take a sweet deal. This is a very corrupt, deeply corrupt person. You would imagine that people in the GRU mm. are very ideological, unlike, unlike yeah. the FSB, uh, because they don't have a lot of... Uh, vertical elevator opportunities, right? But not people in the special ops. In um, I mean, These are people who lived the life for yeah. 15 years. They were traveling abroad and the fake identities, going to uh, an operation where they were supposed to blow up something or kill something. But on the way, they had a credit card with unlimited credit issued by the jury in the name of a fake identity. And they were buying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of presents for their lovers, mm-hmm. for their underage lovers. Uh, and, 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 and then they would say, oh, I needed to do that in order to show that I'm a real person, right? right. So this is the lifestyle. Now, imagine somebody like this, Avrianov, and I am referring to a lot of young girlfriends that he was running, being confronted with an offer he can't refuse by Putin, by, to use another analogy, another term from the, uh, the Godfather. This would be something like, you'll get Africa, and you'll get 10% of the spoils. You'll get 10% of the diamond. I mean, Prigozhin was getting 30%. You'll get 10%, but for you that's and your girlfriends, deal, that's yeah. a big deal. So it would be a deal like that. Now, would he be the one he, he would go to? That's the most logical answer. First of all, because, surprisingly, he was given visibly or openly the role of replacing Wagner in Africa. Mm-hmm. He showed up 
and it was presented to all these African dictators in uh, St. Petersburg as the guy in charge of security. Now, right. read between the lines. That means he's your new, yeah, uh, new Prigozhin, right? And second, he has the skill set. He has the skill set to make things explode in midair. That's literally his people. I mean, that's what he's done internationally. That's what he's done. In the, many people don't know that the GRU, this unit, also did it in Russia. They did it in particular places. They did it in uh, the Caucasus. They did it in Chechnya. They were constantly traveling on the fake identities between Moscow and Mineralne Vode. Um, in, uh, mm-hmm. That's Dagestan, right? Or where it is? Well, somewhere in the region. Oh, I don't remember myself. Yes. Uh, and to Chechnya. So they were doing already assassinations and yeah. explosions within Russia. And this was so logical for him to be tasked with because his goal was replace Prigozhin in Africa. Well, that's one of the steps. And I mean, it's it's interesting because then, you know, the origin of the GRU or what they were tasked with doing in the Soviet period was external, not preparing basically for war with the West, you know, ferreting away weapons and ammunition caches in the English countryside, let's say, for when World War III were to break out. And yet, uh, two years before the full-scale invasion, I was in Kiev and I was interviewing Valery Kondratyuk, who was then the head of Ukraine's military intelligence service, GUR. And he said, you know, we have assess that 29155 is also conducting uh, Mokrodelo operations inside Russian Federation territory. And one of the points, bypassing the typical chain of command, which is the chief of the general staff, uh, and then to the, the, the Ministry of Defense, and then to the Kremlin, they answer directly to Putin and basically provide him with a menu of options. Who would you like to kill today? Or what can we do for you? you know, this week kind of thing. And this is kind of an extraordinary development for this service that they have this bespoke unit that's not FSB or one of the the, the legacy uh, services of the yeah. KGB, but yeah. it's the GRU that's responsible. Um, but I think, by the way, that uh, Avelianov would uh, eagerly kill Prigozhin uh, even for free without any <laughs> African deals, yes. because uh, that first day of the coup was absolutely humiliating for GRU and military, because when you see this video, when Prigozhin sits with uh, uh, General Alexeyev, uh, deputy chief of uh, yes. uh, GRU, and uh, General um, Yevkurov, uh, uh, deputy minister of defense, and he's um, just uh, lecturing them as kids and uh, uh, shouting, uh, give me a Shaigu, and uh, they're like unarmed, and they look they're looking more like prisoners than than uh, like leaders of Russian army. This was absolutely uh, an humiliation. And um, uh, just put yourself in the shoes of, I don't know, uh, a Russian colonel who reports to these generals and who sees that, like, this is literally like no one who is Prigozhin. He has no legal or legitimate uh, status who is speaking with his uh, generals like this. So, uh, I think when, when, uh, so if, if what you previously asked, so if Putin is stronger than, or weaker um, than he used to be, so I think that maybe he's weaker than before the coup, but he's stronger than before assassination. Because uh, before, uh, like a week ago, when Prigozhin was still alive, um, uh, Putin in, in eyes of all the military and eyes of all the people who were, uh, were like, uh, loyal to, to, to Putin's strategy. He, he was, uh, he was seen absolutely weak as a person who can't respond on such, uh, a big insult. So now he restored maybe not a hundred percent, but some share of his, um, reputation, at least in these circles. But on the other hand, um, he lost some legitimacy and support from those circles who supported uh, Prigozhin as a person, as a, like a, as a truth speaker, as a person who uh, goes against all this bureaucracy, who is like uh, the father of soldiers. So yeah. he has, he, and Krista mentioned that he was second in, in opinion polls, he was uh, uh, second as most trusted, or, or, or you, Michael, mentioned because. Uh, second most trusted people, um, uh, like, uh, two months ago. It's, it's only, of course, we can't, we can't know this for sure because only 5% answer to posters. So, so 95% never speak with them. So it's only among those people who feel, uh, safe enough to speak with sociologists. Uh, but anyway, uh, that doesn't matter. 
even if we speak only about the loyal people, to be the second most trusted is very important. And when you kill this person and you show that uh, you are not even not negotiating with this kind of people, you still lose some legitimacy in this um, like uh, patriotic, um, so-called patriotic um, share of population. So that makes Putin weaker too. Talking about perception of weakness, I'd like to quote some yet unpublished uh, data from a uh, polling that was done yesterday by uh, the Open Minds Institute. So it's not a Russian-based uh, entity, but uh, one headquartered, I think, in the U.S. and in Ukraine, about uh, how people feel after the assassination. And three numbers I'll quote is that 50%, approximately half of people in Russia, believe Putin was behind the assassination. Um 25% of the people believe that there will be a repeat coup attempt mm -hmm. in the next few months. And about 65% believe that Russia is in a much less stable situation today than it was two months ago. So, Roman, this may have been 75% before the assassination, but it's still the majority of the people think Russia is less stable than it was before the coup. And but believing but still, uh, we, we need to always to mentioned that this is only those several percent who agree to speak with the posters. Yeah, Meaning right. that if 95% if refuse to speak with the posters, it may be because they think their uh, view on the world is not the most, uh, you know, the, the one they want to share with the people who know where they live or they know their phone numbers, right? Uh, so that means, but but I agree with you that this this we can rely on this um, on this post when uh, we try try to analyze the viewpoint of the loyal people because they uh, are those people who who speak with sociologists and and even they um, are absolutely sure that Putin did it so they don't trust propaganda on this issue uh, and uh, they. Uh, they think that that that, that uh, made him uh, stronger, which I uh, agree in their perception uh, and in perception of uh, Russian military. Of course, uh, that was a demonstration of strength, definitely. But the other the other interesting fact from this poll: if a quarter of the population thinks that a second coup is inevitable, you know, determinism like this can be its own accomplice to events. No. That suggests that when it when and if it happens at least a quarter of percent of the population is going to shrug and say, well, you know, we knew this was coming and what are we going to do? So in other words, Putin does not seem to have, you know, one, one of the, the abiding, maybe this is a myth in terms of the Western understanding of Russia for the last 30 some odd years, and God knows there've been plenty of those myths, was that Putin had restored the credibility and the strength of the Russian nation. He was deeply popular. Everybody liked him, supported him. There was no alternative to his rule. And now all of a sudden, We've seen that, in fact, there is an alternative to his rule, maybe not through the ballot box, but through the more customary Russian means of violent overthrow and murder. Uh, and yet, um, again, we come back to this core issue of mass popular indifference to who actually is in the cockpit, right? If it's Putin, who cares? If it's Pashtashev, who cares? If it's Prigozhin, who cares? You know, maybe one of them will, will improve our lot even in a minuscule fashion, maybe one of them will, will advance our interests in the war, such as we have interest in the war, which I'm not even convinced that a lot of Russians do at this point. So what are we, what are we really saying here? That is this the beginning of the end of Putin's regime? And it's just a question of maybe he's deferred or he's, he slowed down the clock, but he hasn't stopped it. Or is there still a way for him to, I don't know, defy expectation again and liquidate all of his enemies, uh, both those that are known to us now and those that we have yet to to understand are indeed enemies. Well, I mean, I, I think Putin's formula at the moment depends only on the continued indifference of mm -hmm. the large part of the population. Um, because only in that scenario, we're not going to see the catalyzing of three distinct constituencies that are uh, as antagonistic as any pre-civil war situation mm -hmm. in any country. You're seeing the liberals who hate what's happening, and so far they're either... Uh, leaving the country or silently objecting. Um, you have the pro-Putin uh, aficionados who are usually of an age that makes them very um, kind of non-fight worthy. Mm -hmm. 
But then you have a new thing that didn't exist before, which is a very weaponized, very motivated and angry minority that preferred Prigozhin because he's uh, more efficient and he's more uh, cruel than than Putin. And those people are unsatisfied, but they will continue to be somewhat passive for now. And I think that the passivity is a function also of how comfortable their life still is. I mean, comfortable in very relative terms, comfortable for Russians who are used to to much worse than most uh, of the mm-hmm. rest of the world. Um, so I think the economic situation in the next few months is going to be a clear determinant of whether or not this pre-civil war situation we have in Russia becomes uh, active or will it retur- remain latent. So, Roman, you're a political scientist, PhD. What would you say about that? Well, yeah, I think that we uh, shall uh, notice elephant is in, in the room, which is that Putin is 70 years old man, and uh, everybody understands that, well, he's the only one in Russia who really wants this war and that intense conflict with, with the West, because no one in... I, I'm not speaking about, like, democratic position. I'm speaking about um, Russian uh, oligarchs or even... Uh, generals from uh, different intelligence and military, no one really needs this conflict with the West. So it looks like all the country sits and waits, waits when Putin will die, either because someone kills, kills him or because he's old. And this by itself makes him weak anyway, because uh, it, it, it it's not like in China when you have a political system with a certain ideology with a very complicated mechanism of changing of power, where uh, it, uh, it you, you know that it will overleave any uh, leader. Though now uh, Xi Jinping is uh, a little bit uh, um, a little bit more charismatic than uh, usually other Chinese leaders, and a little bit more maybe um, unilateral in his decisions. But still, it's a system that. And you see that these institutions will overlive um, the people who represent them. But in Russia, it's not the case now, because everybody understands that as soon as the second Putin dies, everything will change. Because no one wants a um, uh, status quo that uh, exists now. So if everybody understands that the situation will change uh, anyway, the elites will change anyway, and, and uh, the situation, like, I did relations with the West and everything will change. So why wait then? Uh, why we would trust these people now if if, if 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 it's not for long? So every year makes Putin uh, weaker and weaker and he feels that. And I think this is one of the reasons why he becomes more and more uh, a, like a, a totalitarian dictator because he needs more and more um, uh, repression, threats, and strength mm-hmm. to suppress uh, this uh, this this growing opposition. So you don't believe one of the the lines that has been fed to American Russia watchers for for ages, both from the intel level and the analytic community, is that well, if you think Putin's bad, wait till you see who's going to take over, who's waiting in the wings. I mean, um, I, not Zhirinovsky himself, but somebody more of that mentality, you know, ultra nationalistic. Uh, almost apocalyptic in his views of the West. Uh, you know, Patrushev is, is always whispered about as somebody who makes Putin look rather kittenish by comparison. But Raman, what you're saying is you don't believe this to be the case. You think that everybody is going to say, okay, enough is enough. We've seen how this man has single-handedly driven the country back 30 plus years. Um, we got to get rid of him or we have to now Yeah, yeah because we, we, we don't see any, we don't see any grassroots support for uh, the fascist part of uh, this elite. I mean, when Girkin was arrested, there were like a dozen of people uh, near the court. Um, when Pigozhin uh, is now killed, yeah, there are some people who brought uh, some flowers uh, in, in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Uh, um, and um, most people who uh, were in, in Wagner's group. But that, that doesn't sound like he has real um, a million uh, millions of uh, the people who share share views with him. I think he was popular not because he uh, was um, uh, this kind of uh, brutal uh, thug, but because he just uh, told things that many people 
uh, agreed with, uh, and and may, now some people uh, don't remember that, but he said that the war in Ukraine was actually a mistake, and it was it was it was it was a very it was a very bad idea, and that we did it very wrong, and that we were drugged in it. We didn't, uh, and uh, so it was it was, and he said this in the moment when he was when he had the highest uh, public support. Uh, and when when he started uh, his um, coup, he immediately lost a very big part of the support because uh, he, uh, uh, these people who were loyal to Putin uh, didn't want to choose between him and Putin. They just loved him because he was kind of he was a uh, legend yeah. person who still told some truth. Mm. Well, let's talk about what the most likely culprit uh, pointed by the Kremlin will be for the assassination. What do you think, Roman? Who will be the guilty one? Who will be the lightning rod? Well, I think uh, it, it doesn't matter. Was it a missile or bomb? Or they would say that it would that it is a Ukrainian bomb because they had not, not, nothing else to say, which still uh, will sound stupid because. Why would Ukrainians need Prigozhin now when he's out of any like military control? But again, they, they have nothing else to say. I mean, on, uh, on the contrary, I think the Ukrainians at a certain point saw Prigozhin as, as advancing their yes. interests because, you know, he was the one attacking MOD. He was the one basically calling out all of the lies and propaganda of this war. Uh, and you notice like Budanov, the only military faction that he ranks with any you know, degree of, of respect or credibility was Wagner. And Wagner is now, according to the Pentagon as of today, completely a non-factor on the battlefield in Ukraine. So Yes, this yeah. is actually the biggest victory of Ukraine Yes, uh, in, in last uh, months. Uh, but um, I, I, I think that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't overestimate the importance of public opinion now in Russia. So, yeah, I think like everybody would understand that this is Putin and uh, um, they all understand that this was just a criminal thing to do but Putin doesn't doesn't really care what the majority of Russians think about this or it's like maybe several years ago he would care but now in this kind of situation you know like as if there was something legitimate about anything of that uh, the existence of Prigozhin was absolutely illegal and a legitimate thing because it is a criminal offense to have private military cooperation in Russia. You would be imprisoned in 20 years if you would like abide by the Russian laws of having a private military cooperation. And still this person uh, met with Vladimir Putin after the coup, negotiating what uh, what will be their terms of uh, their peaceful treaty. Is there anything legal about this? There's, there's, it's just how people, how criminals uh, decide everything about what they do uh, in, uh, in, 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 in in mafia. And it's, uh, it has nothing to do with the law. So that's why, why would they bother to uh, think a lot about how, how they killed them? It's, it's already a new epoch in Russia, a new era and uh, no one now care, cares about what um, uh, Russian housewives would think about that. I still would give a small placeholder for the possibility that they assign Kadyrov's people as uh, the guilty ones. They've done it before. Seems to be a favorite. Kadyrov seems to like it because he gets his own boost of ego and uh, and uh, popularity among uh, the craziest uh, in Chechnya. So, it's a convenient bogeyman. I mean, when Nemtsov was murdered... Everyone says, "Oh, it must have been Kadyrovites because you know he was attacking uh, Kadyrov himself was attacking themselves just days earlier, and you know all this stuff." And but but not only that, we've seen, we've investigated with Roman um, at least thirteen assassinations conducted mm-hmm. by the FSB's external unit, the Vimpel guys, yeah. uh, usually of Chechen uh, sort of rebels or people who fought against Russia abroad, and in almost every case they try to set it up as if Kadyrov did it. Yeah. Uh, but they don't trust Kadyrov, so they do it themselves. So this could be just one of those play cases. But that was that was a different situation because that was mostly Chechen people abroad. So it was very convenient to say, well, this is something between the Chechens. Yeah. 
And also when it was murder open software, um, also as uh, we know, uh, FSB actually controlled the situation, but Chechens were ones who, um, pulled, the who pulled the trigger. Uh, there also it was a different situation because they um, they needed to show that there was someone with motivation to do this, but not the government. But here, no one would believe that Kadyrov has any uh, any interest in involving in that. They, they had some conflict, yes, but uh, well. It, it will make Putin weaker if everybody would say that this is Kadyrov, because everyone needs to think that this was Putin taking a revenge. Right. So it was. It would be, I think, humiliating for Vladimir Putin if, if everybody would think that it was not him, but some <laughs> other well, guy. You, from... then, then you suffer from an embarrassment of rogue actors with their own kind of sovereign missions, you right. know. Prigozhin yeah. does a coup, so Kadyrov takes out the yes. coup leader, you know. It's... Um, it would create even more yes, exactly. uh, centrifugal centers of uh, power. So absolutely, I agree. But still, uh, doesn't mean that they're smart, so let's see what they do. But I agree, Ukrainians are the most likely uh, appointed culprit. Which also boosts their uh, capacity for deep strike and, and you know penetrative operations. I mean, if well, they that's also embarrassing, right? That's also embarrassing. If Russia yes, could yeah. do that, why? Yeah. I mean, the Ukrainians probably quietly will lean into that conspiracy yes, theory. And sure, say, sure, whatever not? you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, look... Uh, Next will be a different plane. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, you become a kind of hostage to your own reputation. Yeah. I mean, Dugina and yeah. other attempts or successful operations that Gould has carried out. Why not uh, Prigozhin as well? Um, well, anyway, look, uh, fascinating discussion, as I knew it would be, and uh, we hope that this will be the first of many such discussions that we have not just about what's happening in the news cycle that we are not responsible for, but also investigations uh, that or aren't we? Are, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> investigations that we publish and are working on. And at the moment, there are what fifty plus yeah. big ones uh, coming down the, the pipeline. And you know, my job and the role of the English language version of the Insider is to kind of mainline it directly to non-Russian speaking audiences. So uh, we hope you'll tune in again next time and thanks for watching and listening.